Hunters, before getting into this next episode, we want to thank you and our sponsors for supporting the Flushman Dustin podcast. Keeping our dogs safe while hunting, training, or traveling from one location to another and helping them perform to the best of their ability is important to us. We keep a first aid kit from Gundog Outdoors in our trucks and carry one of on our hunt-ready vests in the event our dogs obtain an injury while hunting. We also carry their water bottle to keep our dogs hydrated while in the field. To check out these products and other safety gear, head over to Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNEXT to save 10%. We transport our dogs to the hunting and training fields in our G3 Dakota 283 kennels. These kennels are one solid piece of military-grade material and now have the option to add a feature called Dakota Guard. This adds an antimicrobial protection to the kennels that is FDA and EPA approved and is proven highly effective against Salmonella, E. coli, and much more. Not only do they care about the safety of your dog, they also care about your dog's health. Dakota 283 also provides other specialized gear to ensure our dogs have enough water and food for a full day's hunt and to safely store and secure our gear in our vehicles. Check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and use code RNR10 at checkout to save 10%. To ensure our dogs are primed for the field and receiving the nutrition they need to work harder and to help maintain their joints, we feed you Canuba dog food. We feel you Canuba dog food provides our dogs year after year with the strength and endurance to perform at the best of their ability. Lastly, become a patron at patreon.com for exclusive giveaways and discounts. Again, thank you to everyone for helping us continue to bring you Flushman and Dustin episodes. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushman and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Hunters, welcome back to another Flushing and Dustin podcast. This is the second power hour that we're having. Uh, so we're excited to have you, everyone come back and listen. Uh, the topic for this power hour is going to be struggles or issues that uh, we have faced in the past season or previous seasons. Um, you know, we've all experienced different things and have to overcome hurdles. So it's good to hear from multiple people what they've done to overcome hurdles that they face. That way, if you face them in the future, uh, you can reference back to it. Uh, we got a pretty good crowd here tonight. Uh, so we're going to start off by everybody introducing themselves. I don't know who wants to introduce themselves first, but... Uh, Tyler, why don't you go? Me? Tyler? Yeah, I will go. Yeah. All right. Go. Uh, I'm Tyler, yourself. one of the guys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. Um, I'm running two Goldens, which you guys probably know. Uh, Murph and Lola. been hunting pheasants for a pretty good amount of time. Uh, started when I was about 12, 13, and I'm 30 two yeah 32 now so um so decent amount of time these are my first uh bird dogs that i have owned personally i've hunted over other bird dogs but these are the first ones that i've owned so pretty new to that all right uh i'm nick obviously uh tyler's uh tyler and i are both running ringnecks and retrievers on the flush and dustin podcast uh live in des moines run diesel Big black lab. Um, he's my third lab that I've had. I'm 34, and uh, yeah, looking forward to speaking with everybody here tonight. Good. I'll go. Yeah. Uh, Nate Strickler. Also live in the Des Moines area, technically Johnston, northwest suburb. I've been hunting pheasants, I think, 25 years now. I started my junior year in college. A friend, roommate, friend and roommate, introduced me. I currently have three Vishlas at home. I've had four in total. Of the three at home, two are still hunting. One of them turns one tomorrow on the 30th, whenever that is. Um, tomorrow. So training, a lot of training of Maverick at the time. And then my other hunter is a female Piper and she'll be four this summer. Uh, let's see, you said Instagram handle, Nate yep. P. Strickler, just my name. Um, Appreciation for dog work, certainly an appreciation for pheasant hunting, getting youth and newbies of a field is has been 
a focus of mine for the last five plus years or so. That's where my significant focus is nowadays. Yeah, I'd just like to give Nate a shout out for his uh, his posts. Um, he's been doing some work with his dogs recently, uh, woe work that I saw, and oh. it's uh, awesome. So if you've yeah. got, a, got a pointing dog and need some tips, check it out. Yeah. I got to post day three. Today was day three. So. Nice. All right. Brian, you want to go? Yeah. I'm Brian Grave. I'm from the northwest corner of Iowa. I got a three-year-old Brittany and a two-year-old small Munster. Nice. Well, What's their names? Uh, Kimber and Aria. Very cool. Very cool. Northwest Iowa, where all the birds are. Yeah. I have found a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure more than a few. <laughs> all right, Nick, you want to go? The Iowa bird chaser, Nick. Yeah, I'm Nick Martin, uh, a.k.a. Iowa Bird Chaser. That's my Instagram handle. Uh, my dog actually turned three. Today's her birthday. I lied, uh -huh. Jesse. I said it was 27th. This is today. Popped up on my phone. I thought it was uh, Saturday. We didn't celebrate, though, so we didn't do an early birthday. Uh, got a wire hair griffin, and that's about it. That's nice. Been hunting pretty much my whole life. Um except for college years like most people when you're kind of out there doing college stuff <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that yeah uh, that's funny so uh nick martin the iowa bird chaser you have started your 99 county goal in iowa uh, as your first year obviously you probably have come across you're you're mainly hitting public land is that correct uh, yeah um, and I think a lot of hunters in Iowa, you know, are trying to find public spots or, you know, hunting public spots. So what is something this year that you've come across that maybe it was a struggle for you, uh, that you kind of had to learn on the go or figure out as the year went, we don't want to put you on the, the spot. I think the biggest thing for me really was just, um, figuring out the land and what i mean by that is you know i kind of i did a little bit of scouting this summer locally around me and then me and the wife took a camping trip and we did some scouting up in the northwest region but i actually did not get to really many of those areas a couple but not many this season i had found some stuff virtually scouting that looked better than what i walked in person so i went kind of back to northwest iowa but it was the first time that i had been there and i had gotten in there and some things weren't exactly how i thought they were on the map um and so that was probably the biggest thing is getting in there and then i'm a kind of a big guy if i have a plan i've always been like stick to the plan stick to the plan well i'm learning especially hunting public land um with these pheasants you have to adapt um and i think that's one thing actually just kind of following nate a lot is nate's always adapting um you know you'll see him out there struggling in one area and he'll pack the kids up he'll get the snacks and they'll head two and a half hours north or south or whatever don't forget, the snacks. <laughs> don't forget the snacks <laughs> right right um and so that's the biggest thing is just being willing to change and that's helped me a lot um but just yeah just getting out there and not knowing the territory and kind of having to learn it on the spot um but through that i've just kind of learned how to read habitat so towards the end of the season it was getting a lot easier to just show up and hunt these areas effectively without ever walking them. So, uh, Nick, you mentioned to Nate. Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you were, were you saying something, Nate? I, I was just going to add uh, to Nick's mention of, and I know based on conversations we've had, Nick, and, and some of the podcasts you've been on, I've listened to, right? All the online scouting, right? Onyx offers a lot of cool opportunity that uh, for the vast majority of my hunting experience, right? It, it wasn't a, a, an option, even a considered option. But to me, what I would find, if not difficult, at least less than ideal, is when I get to a field, forget about all the, the situations, whether it be weather, you know, moisture, wind, temperatures, all those things that obviously uh, make a big difference uh, as it relates to successes. But I wanna see the grass. How thick is the grass, right? What's the, under, what's the grass underneath like? Is it good for brood cover? Is it mono in nulture? Is, is it 
big blue stem, which really isn't going to serve a lot of purpose other than, you know, thermal cover when it's really, really cold. What's it next to? You might be able to see that it's an ag field. But when I go out hunting and I, I scout mostly private spot, I'm looking to see how dirty the field is. Right. So you can see online that it might be ag, maybe even corn and beans, Nick. But you have no idea how good the combine was at picking that. Right. So when That's I exactly people, what I was kind of referencing, yeah, you know, it looks good online and then you show up and it might just be this, you know, about as thin as my hair grass. And you're like, oh man, late season, that right. ain't going to hold up. Right, right, right. <laughs> so Nate, when you, when you say how dirty the field is, are you talking like how much uh, corn or beans yep. or something the, the combine left behind? Waste grain. Yep. Nice. I will all, if, if, if I get to a field... And even if all the grasses are right and it's got edge, right? So I'm looking for edge. I'm looking for surrounding ag fields, you know, outside of the section as well. Ideally, I'm looking for gravel roads with some, some gravel, right? So they can get grit in the morning. Um, and then outside of that, I'm first and foremost, I'm walking that edge and I'm looking as I hunt an edge, usually with a kid, right? And totes, besides paying attention to them, supporting them and their experience, I'm eyes on the ground how dirty is that field if it's a brand new you know wealthy farmer with with good combines and a really clean field meaning i don't see waste grain promise you nine out of ten times that field's not going to hold birds like yeah. another with waste grain out there okay, that's tip. that's interesting you bring that up because we went to we went to south dakota this past year and everybody's all south dakota's the mecca you know of, of birds and whatnot and we went up north was it northeast of north aberdeen of aberdeen right? yeah and there's i mean there's Sucked. thousands thousands of public grant uh public land up there you know so we're like yeah let's go scout this whatnot and it was so hard to find a field that was next to any grain field it was all just pasture surrounding it and we yeah. we didn't see many birds at all mm-hmm. um we headed southwest of there uh, fronted fields that have next to bean fields, next to corn fields, and yeah, we even hunted some. Really got uh, into the birds. We even hunted some wooded strips uh, that were in between. Well, it was in the middle of a bean field. It had like four wooded strips with a little bit of grass. Man, we slaughtered them in there. They were just yeah. sticking in those little those little patches. You know, they were. I don't know. Were they ten foot wide? Maybe. Yeah, ten, fifteen. They yeah, they weren't very wide, and man. It was easy. Dogs ran down it and you could walk in the, in the bean field and bam. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into the, the scouting and find, you know, you can look at a field and like you said, after you've had your experience, you know, and walking through it, just, it gives you a really good idea of, you know, especially in the dead of winter in Iowa, like birds are going to need to be next to a food source. Right. Like they're going to be next to have nice thick grass next to a good food source. They're going to have to be warm. So yeah, if you're going through a Nick Martin type hair field, you know, (laughs) you ain't going to be finding any birds. You know, I'll say this, you know, doing these podcasts uh, and these get togethers and just podcasts in general. And then, you know, following all you guys on Instagram and seeing what you're doing. um, I've learned a lot and I've hunted, you know, for over 20 years and it's like oh well i'm gonna try this like uh a problem that i had and i'll bring up kind of what my battle was here with recent years diesel my black lab he actually is very rangy uh he can run all day he's uh probably not like uh your guys's dogs as pointers but he will go all day and he gets out there um and he'll actually he'll point flash point it won't be like a hard point but he will uh whether you want to call it a pointer, he just knows the birds there, whatever you will. Couldn't find him. So for the last, what, five years, I've always been like, man, he just kicked up a bird because I couldn't see him. And so then I started putting a bell on him. And maybe this hasn't been any of your guys' experience, but the bell always seemed, always felt like it would scare the bird. Whether the bird was privy to that or, or not, or if just the noise of that, just make the bird get up. I don't know. So actually this year, Tyler was doing this. Um, he started using actually uh, a beeper collar, like you guys probably use in your pointers. So I actually bought one of those. Um, total difference for me. Total difference for me. Uh, so that, that's kind of a tip that I, I did. Um, um, 
and it seems to work out pretty well. And I don't have it set so that if he points, it beeps. I just have it so I can locate him when I can't see him, so I know where he's at, so it's not constantly like beeping or anything like that. Yeah, it's yeah. located. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that that was nice for me when I started using it, especially when I, you know, I have two dogs. It's hard if one gets on, you know, a different scent this way and this way. And then I lose track of, if I'm watching one, I lose track of the other. I can quickly hit that locate button on theirs, you know, and it gives me an idea of at least where they're running. Um, but it, yeah, when we had that, we had the bells on, what, two years ago? Yeah, and we went into a field and they weren't like the big loud cowbells, you know, they're the nice small ones. So they weren't super loud, but man, the birds were just we like step five feet in the field and they're busting out the end of it already, you know, and was it the bell? I don't know. It was public yeah, ground. Guys, so maybe they were, have you guys had any experience with bells by chance? Anybody? I never use bells, use beepers for <laughs> shit. Yep. as long as beepers have been around. Right. I think it was in attack. I think they were the first ones that came out. Tritronics, Dogtra, all those. Yep. And we did usually I'd run the beep. Um, in the beginning, it used to be, you didn't have all the options, right? You didn't have a locate option as you guys had talked about. So you could set it to like a beep once every 10 seconds. So yep. always pointers for me. And then on point when the dog goes on point, right? It beeps at a, at a higher frequent, you know, the cadence is faster. And then to your mention about scaring the birds, my buddy on his setter, he would always run the hawk scream on that. And I never really saw enough, enough evidence to, to gain opinion as to whether or not you know, the hawk scream, did it really hold the bird down? Was it any different than the other beep? I don't know. So I'm squarely on the fence as to whether or not a beeper. Yeah, you know, I, I've hunted with another gentleman who has a Vichel as well, and he uses a hawk scream. Yeah. Um, and he says he likes it, but I don't know that I've, when I hunt with him, I don't know that I've noticed a difference either. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know Brian, do you run, run? I know, uh, I know Nick's got the, He's on the GPS as I am now, the Alpha 100. But what do you run, Brian? I got a dog TNB dual for this season, and I absolutely love it. I have a Brittany that is way on the small side. She's like 32 pounds. She goes on yeah. point and five foot blue stem grass. Yeah. <laughs> it was murder finding her back the first two seasons. Yeah. So does Plus that track them, or does it just uh, does it just give a sound when they point? Um, I've never set it to point mode. So I only use it to locate them when I can't find them, but it's yeah. been absolutely wonderful. So you hear nothing until you don't know where she is, and then you just push the okay button and you hear a beep? Yep. I guess she, does she no, range pretty far? I can't hear a dog rustling in the grass, I start beeping to try to turn my head to see where she's at. Okay. Yeah. And that doesn't have a, like a GPS on it? Like Nate Ears has a GPS, so Nick? Yeah. GPS. yeah how, big a, how big a game changer have those gps collar has been for you guys i think it's great i mean especially you get in that that really tall grass i mean it's i don't, I don't know it just seems like a no-brainer i don't i don't know what i would do without it hunting more public land this year i really needed it so that's why i made the investment but um before i just did a lot of kind of private just around tama and the grass was short so i didn't need it but yeah it's been a it's been a game changer are they pretty accurate i mean when you walk up to the dog, is it basically right on it or? Yeah. Know? I mean, like any GPS thing, it can have its quirks, especially like right when you get in the field, but once it gets pinpointed and you're rolling, I don't know what your thought is on Nate. Um, share that with us. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty darn accurate. I am really curious to hear. I've been wanting to get Nate's opinion. He just got the watch uh, for Christmas, but I don't know if he's really hunted with that much. So maybe later uh, this year, he'll have some more time to work with that. Yeah, I'll share it with that. Nick, could you imagine the stress with losing the uh, Alpha 100 handheld? Wouldn't that be crazy? It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Dude, I, I don't know what I would do. Like, it would just, like, I probably would quit hunting. Yeah. <laughs> you would not. Thankfully, that never happened to you. No, no, it would not. No, I wouldn't <laughs> do something like that. I would secure it, you know, like, in two different points on my vest. So if one fails, yeah. I got the backup. Yeah. Um, yeah. The bright orange case. <laughs> What was going through your head when you came back to your truck and didn't have it? Well, so I was, it was actually really unfortunate because I was out with one of my friends that I deer hunt with and his 10 year old son. And 
basically I've tried to get them to pheasant hunt with me for years and they just say, there's no pheasants, there's no pheasants, but they hunt everything else. And they grew up pheasant hunting. I'm like, you guys are killing me. So we went out that day, we saw no birds and we went to a place where I was seeing a lot of birds. I took them to a spot that I thought was going to be really good. And then on top of that, I lost my alpha. So my point of saying all that was like inside, I was just heartbroken and wrecked. And I mean, I only had it for a couple months, but I was doing the best I could to just try to have a positive attitude and not ruin the day for those guys and just be salty. Um, but it, and it, everybody handled it well. And th those guys wanted to keep looking. And I, I was kind of to the point, like, this is a needle in the haystack. Like I, it was kind of defeat in the moment. Then the more you kind of come down, it was like, all right, plan B, let's get a metal detector. Let's try to find this thing. I didn't think I would find it. And honestly, when I was swinging that metal detector through that grass, when I started, I'm like, you look like an idiot first of all. And second of all, like <laughs> this, this is, it just, it just looks ridiculous. And sure enough, there was. It made for great content. Oh man. <laughs> Not my heart though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brian, why don't you give us a little bit? What have you had? Uh, what's some of the struggles you might've had this past season or in seasons before? Oh, this year I've had a lot of problems with my Brittany. She's, she's a great retriever. If she points the bird or sees it gets up, but you know, pheasants wild flush. If she doesn't see a bird get up and go down, I have had a hell of a time getting her to find it. And that's been my biggest issue with her. And then my younger one's point stealing the older dog. Okay. Yeah. So it's not honoring? Yes. Yeah, he honored when he his first season, but now he's point stealing. That can be a struggle. So, you say, so she won't hunt, she won't hunt dead or she won't find a wounded rooster big difference it just if she doesn't see it go down she isn't correlating what i want her to do, do i know what you mean by that brian because i'm having that issue this year mine mine used to mark them fine but she's done this thing where <laughs> right when the bird flushes she'll spin in a circle and she loses the bird i'll take her into the downed area and if like for nav gun stuff if i do tracking wounded animals dead birds she, she was relatively pretty good at it now all this i don't i don't know what has changed but i i get i i understand exactly what you're saying brian um and to nate to nate's question for me personally and i don't know about you brian it's it's wounded or dead it's like uh i'll bring her into the you know i kind of bring into right where i think i saw it and i'll start telling her fetch it up and she'll start searching and doing her thing but i don't know if she's is she if it's more if she's like using visual and not using her nose at that point because that was an issue with her as a puppy. Like it took her a minute to get her nose turned on. But um, I don't know if Brian, any of that's kind of the same as what yours is. Yeah, it's pretty much that. It's like, if I know I hit the bird good and I can wait a couple minutes and work her downwind and bring her back up, she'll find it. But she just isn't yet getting that hunt dead or hunt down. That's a good point. If I have some wind and I can bring her back up wind, she can usually track it back down that way. But if it's a dry, calm day, ugh, it, it's a struggle if she don't see it go down. Can I ask what you are doing to try to correct that problem? Like, what are your thoughts? And So I'm, we haven't really got into much, for me personally, have not got into much off-season training quite yet. Yeah, me neither. Not yet. So I teach... I teach dead um and my phrase is i know it's a little silly but is nate cutting out or is that just me no nate you want to restart dead bird fetch if i use dead bird fetch him up my dogs know no you guys hear me okay or no now, now we, we can. can now we yep. can we could not there for I uh, moved about two inches. <laughs> Must have made the difference. Perfect. So, I teach. Uh, I teach to hunt dead. I teach my dogs really young. In fact, at eight weeks, that's the first thing I taught Maverick. And I, there's there's a belief that this that this isn't always good. So <laughs> there's my disclaimer. Uh, but I taught him to track right away. So dead bird fetch him up means nose down, small circle. <laughs> widen the diameter until he hits that cone, whether upwind, downwind, doesn't matter. Then he hits it and then he tracks. So I would drag 
I would drag dead birds. I'd start with pheasant scent that you can buy, wing, all that type of stuff. And then I drag chuckers, pigeons, pheasants, something I got in the freezer down the basement. And every time they will find a bird that way. The, the argument against this approach, I've had pro trainers, of which I am not, uh, tell me that it actually can lead to a dog having a low head on the point itself. So from a stylistic approach, right? You want that high head, nose in the wind. It could, it might negatively affect that. So it's just something to consider. Just throw that out there. One little so thing. Nate, I, you, I, you thaw your birds out, I imagine. Like you set it out the night, not thought fully, but set it out the night not before always. it's not completely frozen. Not, not always. I mean, honestly, life gets in the way. Like you said, I forget to take it out the night before or what have you. So sometimes I'll drag a, a frozen bird. Now, Vishlas, especially my smaller female, grabbing, because I, I teach fetch at the same time, right? So then she's got a small, small jaw. Grabbing a fully frozen rooster doesn't always work out perfect. It's, it's at least not a very good hold. But chucker, pigeon, quail, no problem. And if I want to, then if you thought out, there's better scent, you're right. And then it actually can lead to, you know, kind of having a nasty bird if you're doing a force fetch or something like that, where you really want to drive, drive necessity for them to fetch upon your command, not just because they want to. Sometimes I'll do that. Is that why you brought that up, Nick? Uh, I was just curious because I know some guys just pull it out the day before. And, but I've heard others kind of given a, they say they don't feel like it has much scent. I, I don't really have an opinion on that. I've done it like you either way. Cause yeah, life gets busy or last minute you want to do some quick training in the morning for kids get up or something. And yeah. So I was just curious if you always did it frozen or if it just kind of varied. It, it varies. It's probably closer to frozen than certainly thawed the majority of the time for sure. But that's just a definitely. Convenient. They yeah. can get kind of nasty if you let them get yeah. fully frozen, just kind of to get that outer crust off, really. Yeah. 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 One of the, I think it's similar to what, what you're saying, Nate. Um, one of the things I've seen, maybe more in the retriever world, since we use whistles more for our dogs um, for recall and whatnot, but they do a, a hunt whistle. So I don't, I don't have my whistle on me, but it's like, it's like three tweets usually come back or like one tweet stop and then it's like for a hunt whistle like let's say the dog's running a blind or um you bring the dog to where you think the bird went down right you do a whistle that and you know you use uh your command people probably use you know dead bird or whatever but you can use a whistle too that it's like a I can't even do it without a whistle but it's a, basically you go volume up and volume down um, and then that tells the dog to like search in a circle and just keep expand until they get in that scent cone. So that, I mean, that's basically what you were saying, just yep. for people, if they, they use a whistle, you know, that's a way to train it. Um, for you know, one thing that I do maybe kind of silly, but I do this with diesel, uh, daily is I'll give him a treat every night after he eats, but I'll hide it somewhere different. And I don't, tell, I don't show him where it is. Yep. And I say, find it. <laughs> Um, just working on his nose, let him scour the house. You think of a house, there's got to be more sense in here than almost outside, I would think. I mean, with, you know, everybody fume and cleaning and all that stuff. So I think it's actually harder for him to find a treat than it would be for him to find a bird out, out in the field. So I, I do that on a daily basis. I like basis. that idea because I've yeah. like, I put scent on a bumper and I'll hide that in like different decorative grasses and stuff I have in my yard. Yep. Um, but man, like you said, how many nooks and crannies you got in your house? Yeah, I just go hide it, and, like, sometimes I'll stick it out of, like, a couch cushion just a little bit, so he has to, like, get in there and get it, or I'll take it and throw it in my bed because it smells like me, and he's got to go into the bed and find it, and he'll, I mean, sometimes it'll take him 30 minutes before he'll actually find it because he's going to every room. <laughs> That's pretty good. I just let, I just let him go. It's, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> silly, but I'm like, well, he's working on his nose. Let him, let him go. And if he feels like he's getting defeated, I just say, find it. It's there. It's out there, and then he's old enough now or he knows that I'm not, you know, bullshitting him. So he just, he keeps going. Yeah. Always finds it. Awesome. So <laughs> Brian, the other thing that I was going to say is, uh, you know, you work with so, your dog. Uh, Tyler, it, Go ahead. Go ahead, Nate. I'm just going to circle back to the GPS thing that Tyler or you, Nick, even asked about and Nick Martin, you asked about the watch too. Uh, 
transition from the beeper to the GPS is fantastic. For a pointing dog, it's fantastic. So they, they make the pitch, right? All the safety reasons, things like that, which I think is more applicable to being out with likely than here in Iowa. The fields just aren't as big. So I think we run less of a risk that way. Mm. But there's some, you know, some dogs bolt and having that sense of security is, I think, part of the value proposition of a, of a GPS collar. But uh, what I, in the peace of mind, just the quiet, I don't want to whistle. I don't even want the beeper on the, on the locate type deal. It's just the older I get, the more I only want to hear, you know, the wind blowing against the grass, right? Or the birds flying above or what have you. Ideally, the cackle of a rooster before the cackle of my shotgun. Um, but, but what I have found that is um, less appealing in comparison to the beeper collar is that those that I hunt with, they're now dependent upon me as the holder of the alpha receiver to tell them where the dog is. Whereas if it's a beeper collar and the dog's on point, they can follow the sign without the sound without issue, right? So it does limit exposure to where the dogs are to whoever has the receiver. So what some people do is they buy a second Alpha 100 receiver, which is, what's that cost, Nick? Three hundred dollars $600. $600, yeah. 450 so, used. Look, hey, I like I like get hair transplant for that, can you, Nick? Yeah. You can buy a new one for 800 <laughs> Yeah. So look, I appreciate my buddies. I appreciate their company of field, but I don't know if I'm going to drop six to 800 bucks on them. So what I did do, Nick Martin is right. I did buy one of the Felix watches. Um, and most of the guys that have the alpha wear it themselves just so they, and they wear it on the inside of the wrist. So they don't have to look down at the receiver. They can just have it on their, on their hand on the gun and just kind of, it, it's coordinated well. Right. I gave it to my buddy. And as long as he was within Bluetooth range, which was limited, uh, he then got point indications as well. It so, had to be within Bluetooth range of your yep. handheld remote. Yep. That's right. Okay, so you so you can't leave the remote in the truck and just use your watch nope. and the dog collar. Nope. Nope. You got to have it within range. So you know, I'm I'm running my two dogs normally with beepers. I mean, all the time and for year for decades. You know, we'd break off. He'd have his dog. Whatever. We try to pin birds. We'd separate in the field, and you can't do that with this GPS with the GPS unit. So that is a. Again, it's it's a known. It's a known experience, um, so I don't know that it's necessarily a, a limitation with GPS colors, but it is something that I didn't fully think through prior to purchase. I mean, I don't know that I would have thought of that. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's something pretty tedious, I feel like, but it's true. I can see where you're talking about, like, if they don't know where your dogs are at and they can't see them and they're relying on you. Oh, hey, over here, pointing over right. here, well, pointing over there. What doing with having a lot of guests in the field. That probably would be a little bit of more inconvenience for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but overall though, I am, yeah, I think it was to you, Tyler, that you asked with your opening question. I still, it's, it's worth move, making the move to GPS. I do it for a pointing dog, maybe less so for a, for a flusher that's yeah. going to stay in close. And generally you're going to hear them either bell or, you know, a tone yeah. locate. Yeah. Um, but Technology is moving in, in favorable ways this way. I like the GPS for sure. The, yeah, pretty soon the we'll thing just that, have robotic dogs and they'll just go out there and they'll... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that I've considered for getting a GPS is just, I think it'd be nice to track the mileage that the dog's putting on, right? I mean, I have no idea. You know, we, we can track it on our phones, how much we're doing, but it gives you an idea of what the dog's doing. But I think if you know especially on hunting when we you're taking a hunting trip or something and you're going five days you know it'd be nice to be like all right well the dog has hit 10 miles today you know we got four days left we're gonna we're gonna call it good for today or you know yeah like a pitch count yeah exactly because yeah. i mean after after five days the dogs are just shot and if you run them too hard right away you know then you're not going to have any dog left at the at the last of it. So it, I, I've looked into GPS just for that. Um, I just, There's probably similar sort of track route there though, that just 
find a GPS. I was going to say, and even get creative, like um, maybe look at some sort of fitness tracker that has its own app that, cause you know, those seem like you for yeah. runners and stuff. There are a dime a dozen. Yeah. That's not a bad idea either. Just yeah, my to brother get that mileage. My brother just told me last night that uh, a competitor to Apple just came out with basically an Apple watch, their version. It's on Amazon right now for like 39 bucks. He bought it. He bought it and it has all the fitness stuff. So if you wanted to, for 40 bucks, yeah. you could slap it. Strap. So Nate, you've obviously had more experience in the field than any of us. Um, you have, you know, we had you on before. You have a diary of all your all your hunts. A journal, not a diary. My bad, well, I don't my know. bad. I don't know if uh, Tyler was just calling you old or yes, if he's right. yeah. giving you a compliment there. <laughs> he looks younger than most uh, of us. I mean, I'm 34, got more gray hair than this guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's there. It's there. Uh, uh, but, I mean, you've, you've had tons of experience, you know, in the field and have probably overcome a lot or have seen a lot. You know, what's what's some of the hurdles that you've come across that maybe we haven't touched on yet tonight? So, yeah, a, a few things I've mentioned before to to – you know, in the podcast and other discussions, but not mentioned here, the unexpected this year was all the mowing, right? So some of the scouting, different contexts, but as Nick had mentioned, scouting public grounds, I had to scout all of my private uh, areas. And even the, the ground around public that I hunt was different due to the mowing. So that changed things substantially. And then derecho, as I had thrown out, it, it was obviously it was a terrible impact for the, for the state and for the farmers. So I, I don't want to be dismissive of that, but a good thing that came out of it is it netted a lot of waste grain out there. So there was a ton of food for all these birds, a whole shit ton of which I'm sure they needed, right. As we had that stint with all that snow on the ground and the terrible, terrible temps there for a good few weeks stretch. So I think it, it offered us more food on as far as, success meaning bagging birds getting birds uh in that vest it also introduced more cover that i didn't hunt so where they didn't till under the corn that was great refuge for them and so especially early in the season before it got cold and and they, the birds pushed to that that blue stem that brian had mentioned earlier before they went to that thermal cover or cattails or what have you i think the birds my experience at least was that the birds were dispersed far more than I've historically experienced. So that made it more difficult to get birds in the bag earlier in the season when it was warmer. So those were two things that I didn't necessarily expect um, this season. Working out the kinks is my second year on the GPS collar. Some of those kinks, adding things like the, the, um, the watch as uh, Nick had alluded to earlier. Um, and then from a dog training perspective, just the you know, Maverick's my fourth dog that I've trained. I still make mistakes every damn day. Um, lots of, you know, it's not linear. His, his uh, progression is not linear in nature. So some good things one day, step back the next day, working my way through that. Retrieving has been his strength. So I keyed off on that. He wasn't ranging to the extent I wanted earlier on when he was young, seven months, eight months when we were hunting. Now that dog, I mean, as I walk him, every other day in the fields, he's ranging big. So patience uh, in association with their training. Uh, some of the retrieves, like Brian had mentioned with his dogs, uh, it's weird, but Maverick will find anything dead. That dog, seven months old, any dead bird in any cover. I just give him time, shut my mouth and he'll find that bird and he'll bring it back, he'll retrieve it back. Piper, on the other hand, if I knock it dead and it's dead, she won't retrieve it. But if that bird's running, She's a tracking machine and she really uh, spins off on the chase. So something that I haven't figured out, I'd welcome advice from you guys or anybody that might listen to this is I've got two Vishlas, right? Three years difference in age. One won't retrieve the dead bird, but will go after the wounded bird. The other one won't retrieve the wounded bird, but will retrieve the dead bird. So, and I suppose maybe if I hunt them together, maybe I've got both, maybe I've got, the, you know, the entire package, but I would like to work that out if possible. You hunt them separate? I rare, rarely, rarely. Yeah. I'm usually running both dogs unless I want to try something specific out. Yep. Um, 
I guess like for me and Nick can attest to this too. Lola literally retrieves everything. Yep. Like Murph, he never gets a retrieve. Um, he, she's just, she's on it. Um, and I guess the way I've looked at it in the pheasant field with running two dogs is, yeah, I would like Murph to get more retrieves. You know, he'll pick the bird up and bring it back. If, if she don't see it and he goes out there, he'll find it. He'll bring it back, you know. So I guess to your extent of the one not going after the dead bird is, you know, I guess maybe doing more training with a dead bird. Um, yeah, we, some I, for, I forced her and she'll she'll do it if I make her do it, but she yeah, doesn't want just, to do it. So, Nate, I heard this uh, from a gentleman a while back, and I don't know if it holds true, but um, it actually – I saw it happen with a dog one time, so I guess it could hold true. But I guess what I'm saying is one of your dogs is doing the work, and then the other one basically waits to get the retrieve or vice versa. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you yeah. think that's a product of what's happening there? Because actually we had a friend, um, Tyler knows who I'm talking about. He bought a young dog and it was actually a German short hair and he's fine now. But when we first started hunting, his dog would not point or anything and it'd wait for diesel to get the bird up. And then his dog would just go run over and like attack my dog. If diesel picked it up first, and then he would, his mm -hmm. dog would bring. So basically his dog didn't want to work and then get the reward. Yeah. Um, not saying that your dogs don't want to work, but do you think it's like, well, if they kick it up, then I can go retrieve it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Some I, I, kind of I, mentality I, like that. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, it's certainly logical. I've seen similar type situations like that. I think what, what makes me suspect of that being the case here is that when I run Piper, the, the female, the three-year-old female who again, she'll retrieve a, a live bird. She'll chase it. She loves it. I mean, extreme predator, right? She yeah. kills shit. Um, but a dead bird, she, but a dead bird that's, you know, fallen in, in five foot blue stem, uh, and the issue isn't accessibility. I don't mean to emphasize uh, the five foot blue stem that way. Uh, she just doesn't want anything to do with it. And she behaves that way when it's just her afield or, um, if I'm in different types of cover. So even when Mav, the younger dog isn't out there, she behaves the same way. And Maverick too, when he's by himself. Although there hasn't been a lot of this opportunity, if I wound, you know, hopefully I'm not wounding too many birds, but if I do, it's, I usually have both dogs in the field, not just math. So, uh, I'm not sure one. what it is, but I appreciate the, the advice that you guys think about. Um, I guess if it was, if it was me, Tyler, your mic. Mike's your mic's up. Sorry. There you go. My bad. Uh, you know, like I, so I had the issue of, of Murph never retrieving the hand this year. Um, so I went way back to the very beginning um, with the program that I'm using from Cornerstone. And I went from the basic of the basic for holding on to a bumper. And I restarted from there and it's made a world of difference from to where we are now. So I don't know if maybe, you know, and he's, he's four, almost four years old. So, you know, obviously he's changed how his thought process is. So maybe it's something with is Piper, your older one. Piper's yeah. Yeah. The three-year-old yeah. female. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's something with her where you have to go back and revisit the basics of the basics with her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That could be. Yeah. Um, I, she's, uh, I, I, I've, some other guys on the forum, some pro trainers that I picked their advice and actually uh, one of them worked with her on some force fetch, anything other than a completely dead bird in the field. So if I throw a frozen, I mentioned a frozen rooster, pigeon, chucker, what have you in the backyard, she'll retrieve it all day. Bumper loves it, loves it, loves it, loves it to hand straight on to me, not 45, hold it. She'll do whatever I want for as long. There's something, I think it's in her psyche. I think she's a little bit crazy, honestly. So. <laughs> you know, is it the smell of the of your of the gun BBs? You know, the BBs hitting the bird yeah. that she doesn't like or something. I don't, man. I wish That's I could crazy. figure it out. I sure, I sure do. But uh, hey, guys, I've got my soccer soccer studs in the back here. Boop, boop. They just finished up. 
Cool. And actually, this is my 10-year-old that bird hunts with me, and then his buddy who has yet to come out with me. Oh, but maybe maybe what this up? season, right? Maybe yeah. This season. Awesome. Absolutely. So, Get out there, guys. Get out there. Yeah. But hey, so I got to uh, kind of cut off and, and finish this soccer carpool, but I no appreciate words. the invite. And yep. Nice talking with you guys. Uh, Brian, good to meet you for the first time. And, and Nick, good seeing you. See you, Nate. Thank, thanks, Nate. Uh, right, take it. care, guys. Have, Have a good, good night. One. You too. So, Brian, I got a question. Uh, just kind of wrap this up. Uh, what, what, how was your season up there in Northwest Iowa? Because obviously I spent some time up there. Um, so what was your season like? And, you know, I was getting into pockets up there where obviously, you know, we're seeing a ton of birds like people talk about, of course, but then you could go like a lot of places, 20, 30 miles, uh, any direction and you don't see anything. So, it, you know, there are definitely pockets up there. Um, and I think you gotta know what you're looking for a little bit, but yeah, just curious. Well, I'm pretty lucky. I have some really nice chunks of private land to hunt. So I don't get out and about much out of my circle unless I'm bored and kind of have an itch to scratch. Makes so sense. I, pre I pretty much hunt the same six or eight fields most of the season. Okay, that makes sense. You kind of know what you're getting into then. Yep. <laughs> Brian, kind of back to your dog. You said that having a tough time marking. Are you doing... Are you doing anything for that? I guess Nick too. Um, like, what's your thought process? What are you what are you running through? Are you starting to do like longer marks? Are you having people help you? Like Nick, I noticed that your dog does do a tornado type effect once bird flushes. <laughs> yeah, that's that is new. It's weird. It's the weirdest thing. Have you thought about working on like, <clears throat> you know, I know Tyler does a lot of place board work. You know, like a place board, and then launching a dummy far out with a cap gun shooting it and then just making her be steady there like that might be something to try um so we do um so i'll, I'll do like a lot of pigeon work with launchers kill pigeons yep. Not, i mean i got friends with homers that will do that too but what i had talked with one of my buddies about right after turkey season i'll probably start rolling into it but basically get the get the um she'll come up get in the cone go on point and then basically I'll just kind of hold her there just by on the back of the collar. I'm not a big fan of like checkboards inking on them. Um, but I'll just kind of just hold her there because if she sees it flush, she'll, she'll watch it. But I don't understand why this spin has come in because she like, cause like I said, she used to watch it. So I think if I can just do that three or four times and just hold her there and just make her watch it because once it goes and i'm standing there she she can't spin so she'll yeah. mark it and then have somebody else shoot it yeah i'll have, to have a gunner um and then let her go that is kind of what i'm thinking if i can do that a few weekends in a row just get some consistency there and and hopefully that just nips it in the butt and it doesn't it doesn't take a whole bunch of work yeah yeah i think definitely getting a bird launcher and launching that bird even if you aren't shooting it you know maybe not even start out with someone shooting the bird just get her back to the bird flushing and make sure she doesn't spin in a tornado you know yeah and and, uh, it, and i think my wife just heard me kind of talk and she said that she spins at home i guess when she gets excited i guess i don't notice it because so i always see her jumping high yeah and i know you've seen some of those um, bumper trainings i'm doing with her tyler where she gets all prancy because she's all yep. proud of herself yeah but i think some of that is just maybe um doing some of that pigeon work yes maybe not even killing it but also i i think what i've noticed myself and you've helped me is just i like all of us we get proud of our bird dogs right so we get excited with them and no doubt i think i have i have a little bit of higher energy at times which we all know and so i think sometimes i just get too excited myself which distracts her and ends up kind of hurting us when we could progress probably a little easier. And so that's a big thing that Tyler kind of just pointed out here in the last week. And I've just chilled out and she just kind of does her thing. And that's been good. Yep. Yeah. That's, that was one thing that I learned the most too, is like, you know, everybody's always says, you know, a good re like reward the dog, get excited for the dog, you know, but there's a certain extent of like excitement, you know, too excited. The dog's crazy, but, yeah Good praise you know the dog knows they did right but you keep them under control so jackson you joined late it's all right 
you logged in earlier and then you jumped off. So I wasn't sure if you were going to get back on, but no, no, I had to hurry and let the little dog out. So we did a quick training session then. Nice. I figured I'd try catching it for the last few minutes. Okay. Very cool. Uh, over there. Would you, uh, what was one of your big takeaways from the season that was maybe one of the biggest struggles that you overcame way up in North Dakota? Well, I guess speaking of trips, we just got back from a snow goose trip this week. We went to South Dakota. Um, and I know it's just been hard uh, weather-wise, you know, kind of battling different weather patterns. The, beer, the birds, especially snow geese, have been flying so weird this year with all the snow they got in Arkansas and Texas. So it's been hard for us to time out where they're going to be. And they were a lot farther north than we thought. So we still ended up getting 90 birds in two days, which we were definitely happy with. But now it's kind of over with. So, yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, the... The snow goose numbers are crazy, man. Just we we're in South Dakota this year and we saw like a mile, three mile wide, just <sighs> snow geese flying. Yeah. It's freaking nuts. nuts. Absolutely crazy. But, but no, other than that, I'm just looking forward to April 14th as the uh, turkey season start here. So nice. it'll be fun to get going into that. And yeah, we just, know, just continue working on uh, turkey season. Have to check it out. Yeah, I will for sure. And other than that, I just, you know, I just started Cornerstone with the guys, so we're on our sixth week, and I know I got it through you guys, and it's really been helping us. You know, it's good nice. to have a, that support group on Facebook. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, dude. They, if you got a question, man, they know – those guys know a lot of stuff, which is – it's helped me so much. It's been it's been an amazing program. But, um, well, guys, I think uh, probably call it – yeah, any other yeah, questions? Unless you got questions, probably wrap her up for this round. I'll cut this part out, but I'll probably send out an invite like a week in advance next time. Um, that way everybody knows. Would you rather get an email with the direct link or is it okay to just do it on the story with the meeting ID number and the passcode? Whatever is easiest. All right. I'll just make sure I post it early and give people time to look at it. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks for hopping on tonight. Yeah. We appreciate it. Again, flush them and dust them. Get ready for turkey season. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Whatever you guys, whatever call you guys are using. <laughs> well, you guys have a good night. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great night. See ya. See you guys. See ya.